this on. So we are going to be today, the, the text is James chapter 2. And uh, I grew up in a church where we didn't, this was way before we had these sort of devices. And in the church I grew up in, everybody always would come with their paper Bible, which I used up until just a few years ago. Um, and I remember being in church and uh, you would give out, whoever was ministering the word would give out a passage and you know, flip, 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 you hear all that paper sound, everybody turning to find that passage. And this will be a little bit more quiet, obviously. But um, let's jump in. We're starting in verse 14 of chapter 2 and we'll, let's just read through the passage and today we're going to... Uh, Use the amplified version. If you're using your your um, um, phone on your Bible on your phone, uh, you might pull up to the amplified version. Just be easier to follow. Or you can, if they put up on the screen, we can do it right there. So let's read it. What is the benefit, my fellow believers, if someone claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? Can that kind of faith save him? No, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith produces good works. Now, let's, let's stop for a minute. I, the character James, this, this man, is fascinating to me. Okay, he was the half-brother of Jesus. And I, I love the fact that he goes into this passage here about faith and works because if you look back at the story of James, uh, he, you know, he didn't believe. He, he, he grew up in the same home as Jesus. I can't even imagine how that would have been. Four brothers of Jesus. Jesus was the older brother. They were half-brothers. Their dad was Joseph. Jesus' dad, if you want to call it that, was God. And this man, Jesus, their brother, was perfect. And he made a lot of outrageous claims. Uh, let's, I'm going to just kind of read a few of the things. You're, you're familiar with these from the book of John, the sort of statements that Jesus would make. James, at different points in his life, would have been hearing this during that three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. He didn't believe. He was very, um, he and all the brothers of Jesus were, um, they made sarcastic comments. Uh, there was the point where, where Jesus was talking about going up to the feast and, and they kind of throw out this comment, well, go up and do this and that. And it's a very sarcastic, who do you think you are sort of statement. And then the Bible makes this, uh, it says this. It says, for neither did his brother, even his brothers did not believe in him. But he would have heard things like this. Uh, Jesus made these sort of statements. Uh, I am the bread of life. If you eat this bread, you will live forever. Pretty amazing statement. James heard it, didn't believe. I am the light of the world. My older brother thinks he's the light of the world. Wow. <laughs> Who does he think he is? I am the door, his older brother said. By me, if any man enters in, he will be saved. I am the good shepherd. Sure you are. <laughs> brother Jesus, sure you are. Oh, man. I am the resurrection 
And Jesus, my brother, you think you are the resurrection and the life? He that believes in me will never die. Though he may die, Jesus said, he will live. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. I am the, I am the vine. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. I have power to lay my life down. And I have power to take it up again. This command I have received of my father. So James heard these things. Wasn't convinced. Now you know what I think is really interesting. Jesus finishes his ministry. Is crucified. Dies for our sin. Raises from the dead three days later. And you know what I love? One of the things I love about the story was really, as we were singing this last song, was really coming to me the love of God because three of the people and the hands-on appearances that Jesus has with people after the resurrection is three people who tremendously failed him or didn't believe to some extent or completely ridiculed him and were totally opposed to what his his claims were. He has an encounter after the resurrection with Thomas, who doubted, who said, I won't believe unless I can put my hands in his side and feel the nail prints in his hands. Jesus finds him and says, here, look, put your hands, look at it, put your hand in my side. See, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. He shows up for Thomas, who was vocally saying, I won't believe unless... He shows up and has a very intimate conversation and restoring session with Peter who had to feel horrible about what he had done. He had denied the Lord, uh, seriously denied the Lord, and Jesus shows up, is forgiving, and just recommissions him and tells him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep completely forgives him, and he makes a point of going to these people. He appears to a number of of people, and you know what it mentions? I really love this. You know, one of the people specifically mentions that he showed up to, to visit after the resurrection, was James, the brother who despised Jesus' claims, didn't believe, shows up, and shows himself to James. Now you think about that. I, I love that. The forgiveness. This, you know, you think about sibling rivalry. rivalry. Sometimes uh, siblings have a harder time, I think, forgiving each other. You, you know, Jesus is there. Shows up to the brother that was really rude, noxious to him. Shows up. As the risen Lord Jesus. You know, Paul says in in Romans chapter 1, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. So imagine he's showing up to these people. He has been killed. Now he is alive. He forgives, shows up to some of these people who were probably had, you know, failed or were just plain awful to the Lord. Now, I love what happens from there. James, the brother of Jesus who didn't believe, was rude and just sinful towards the Lord, 
Jesus shows up. What happens from that point? Well, a complete, total transformation. James, suddenly, from being the guy that didn't believe and was opposed, you see him now in the book of Acts. He shows up. He's in the upper room with the other disciples waiting now for the promise of the Lord. He now believes. He believes. He has seen his brother, half-brother, raised from the dead. He saw him taken up into heaven. He now saw the proof where Jesus said, I will lay down my life. I will take it up again. I am the resurrection and the life. I have the keys of death and hell. He's now in that upper room waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit along with the other people. He now becomes one of the main leaders in the Jerusalem church and is throughout the book of Acts and is referred to in the other epistles. He was one of the pillars in the early church, this guy who didn't earlier believe. Um, complete, total transformation, complete, total turnaround. And this man is a man of God, served God faithfully until I think it was AD 62 or 66. There was a temporary change in, in government and the Jews who hated Christianity had an opportunity at that point because there was a lapse in the uh, law-keeping of the Romans, and they got their opportunity, and they executed James for his faith. Now, think about that. This is how he ends. He serves God faithfully from this point forward, and then dies as a martyr. He could have recanted. He didn't. Why would he? He knew. He knew. And when they took his life, Jesus, his half-brother, the resurrection of life, was on the other side, saying, you will never die. Although you may die, you will live on the other side with me. And there he is today. So, James has a right and can speak with authority in this passage of Scripture when he says, my brethren... What benefit is it if you say that you have faith and you don't have works? What's the good of that? Now, this passage uh, is referred to as being a real controversial passage of Scripture. Martin Luther, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, uh, he referred to this book as an epistle of straw. He didn't think it should be in the Bible. And the reason was this passage, he hated it because he felt it conflicted with the awesome truth that he had discovered, which is awesome, and we're going to look at it. He had discovered one of the most awesome truths you can find in Scripture, which is that a man is saved by faith without any works. There's nothing you can do. This wasn't something that was well known uh, in the circles where where uh, Martin Luther was in uh, the Christianity that he was involved with, that it wasn't there. It was, it was kind of non-existent in his circles. He discovered it. He, he found the truth of Scripture. And then when he, so when he came to these passages, he just wasn't able to reconcile James saying that faith without works is dead. He's like, wait a minute. No, a man is saved by faith without works. That's what it says over and over and over in Scripture. And it does. 
So let's look at a couple of those scriptures. Um, uh, and I'm going to look them up and read them here on my phone. And You know, when I look up scriptures on my phone, I feel like it takes a long time. But I remember when I used to have to flip pages. It takes about the same amount of time. Maybe actually less. Titus 3. Boom, there it is. I think that might actually be quicker. So, verses 4, 5, and 6. It says, But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, in human form as a man, Jesus Christ, He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of His own compassion and mercy, by the cleansing of the new birth, spiritual transformation, regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, That's one of the verses that we refer to a lot. Ephesians chapter 2 is another one, probably the most famous one, that we refer to for salvation, and where Paul makes it so abundantly clear how a person is saved. 2 verses uh, 8 and 9. For it is by God's grace that you have been saved actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. This salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. He makes it not a, uh, not a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. The scripture makes it abundantly clear. There's, you know, I love the Old Testament stories. Um, there's so many types and shadows. For example, the Passover. The Passover lamb that they would kill. You remember the story in, uh, in Egypt uh, where God was going to bring the last judgment on Egypt and all the firstborn in Egypt were going to die. They killed the Passover lamb. Israel did. Each home would kill the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and then it says that God says, I will pass over you. My judgment will not enter into your house. You will be safe. And, as, and then God instituted, he rolls into this as moving forward, there was something called the Feast of Unleavened Bread that rolled over into this celebration immediately following the Passover. They kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there's, there's symbology in this. Here here is the order. They would kill the lamb. Every year they would do this in remembrance. They would kill the lamb. Christ is our lamb. Paul refers to Christ as our Passover lamb who was killed for us. They would kill the lamb. And then you know what they would do next? Right in conjunction with this for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God says, take all the leaven out of your house. Cleanse your house of all leaven. Any, Any leaven in your house, take it out of the house. And he says, for seven days while you're celebrating this feast, I want to look and see there's no leaven in your house. And he says, he's real clear, and do no work during this time. You are to do nothing. But the leaven is going to go out. And it's just, it's symbolic. The symbology to me is awesome. Christ died for us. And when he did, the leaven symbolized sin. Without us doing work, they were instructed, do nothing. Leaven went away. God wanted to look and see things were clean. It just kind of rolled hand in hand. Then you go on and you look at another one of the stories in the Old Testament where the priests who were going to serve God, 
before they could serve God, they were commanded to do something. There was a ceremony that they went through, and they were to present themselves to God as a living sacrifice, as a wave offering. And God says, you cannot do my service, you cannot serve me until you present yourselves to me as an offering. And after you go through this step of presenting yourself to me as an offering, he says, then, he says, God looks at him and says, now I look at you and I say, you are mine. You read the, read the passage. I will say about you, after you have presented yourself to me, you are mine. And now you can go in and do the work. It's just kind of those two stories together are kind of what James is talking about in this passage. Faith. First question is, how is your faith? What is your faith in? I was thinking this morning, I was driving here. I, I, I can't remember the name of the movie. Jim Carrey, and I don't remember the, the girl who starred with them. They were the couple. They had everything. And you remember, they, they ended up losing everything, and they had to turn to a life of crime. I cannot remember what it was called. But I was remembering the part of the movie where he's up in, going up in the elevator. He's been called to see the boss. He thinks he's getting the big promotion. He doesn't realize he's about to get fired. Everything's about to go bad. And he's in the elevator screaming and out this song, I believe, I believe, I believe, Jim Carrey style. It's hilarious. That's a case where you had somebody who believed, but it wasn't based on anything that was actually going to benefit him. His understanding of what the boss's intent was, was totally wrong. He ends up getting framed. He ends up losing his job. Everything goes bad. On the other hand, when you have faith in the right thing, Jesus Christ, the creator, who is perfect and loving and good, you can, you can ace your faith on him, in him, because he is trustworthy, he is true, he is everything he claimed to be, he proved it when he raised from the dead, um, and the, what James basically does here, he's challenging, let's go back to that passage, James chapter 2, he is challenging false faith, essentially is what he's doing. It's not contradicting anything that Paul taught in the rest of scriptures. He's just wanting to show that there is a result. There is a, an outworking of real faith. So back to the text. What does it benefit, my fellow believers? If someone, here's, the, here's what he's getting at in this statement. If somebody claims to have faith. I'm not talking about a person who really has faith. Or maybe you could, you could also say that maybe there is a person who truly say a person has faith. Maybe he's wandered a bit, though. And maybe his faith isn't as strong at this point as it needs to be. And then this begins to apply to that sort of person also. So let's just ask the question. What, with James here, what benefit if you save? It's just words. It's like you're at work and... You know these sort of employees. You work with at least one or two of them. The guy or gal that likes to tell you how good they are. I'm the best. I do the best every month. I sell the most. I do this. And in my business, I had one of those. He's, he's moved out to something else now. 
But he'd always tell you how good he was. There's actually two of them. Now, I work in the business where every day, and I mean every day, management sends out a report of all your numbers. They send, we all get to look at each other's, and they stack you up on every, I mean literally every category. Every day, I choose not to look at it till the end of the month. I don't just, but, but you know what's interesting is the two people, the loud mouth, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. Do you know where they sat on everything almost every month? Right smack at the bottom. Every month. I'm the best, I'm the best. At the bottom, I'm the best. <laughs> okay, sure. It's kind of the same, the same concept here. What does it benefit you if you say you have faith? You see, James... When he finally got faith, when his older brother showed up and appeared to him after the resurrection, and now James has faith, guess what? Everything changed. He was no longer ridiculing. Now he becomes, the works start to show up. It's just a natural outflow. You're not saved by works. You're saved only by the grace of Jesus Christ by believing. There is nothing you can do to earn favor with God. Nothing you can do on your own to get into heaven. It's called, Paul refers to it as the free gift. The free gift. Jesus says, I give you eternal life. I give it to you. Can't work for it. But the natural outflowing is a changed life. And that's all James is trying to say here. There's no contradiction. It's really not controversial at all. When you understand what he's saying. If someone claims to have faith. I've got it. I've got it. I'm a believer. Really? Really? I don't see anything. I look at you. I don't see anything. I don't see a changed life. I don't see any life in you. I don't, there's nothing. You know, James, after his conversion, he got it. He was saved by grace. That works. But you know what he you know what he introduces himself as? He starts the book of James. He doesn't say, James, the half-brother of Jesus, look at me. Uh-uh. James, servant of Jesus Christ. Didn't mention anything about his relationship. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. What does it profit a man? Can that kind of faith save him? No, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith produces good works. Then he makes this analogy. If a brother or sister is without adequate clothing and lacks enough food for each day, and one of you says to them, go in peace with my blessing, keep warm and feed yourselves, but he not, does not give them the necessities for the body, what good does that do? What good was that? What did you accomplish by making, you said some words there, and then you, that person went, Nothing happened. There was no good in those words you spoke. It was completely wasted words. Then he goes on. I love this statement. Someone may say, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Show me your alleged faith without the works. If you can, I will show you my faith by my works. That is by what I do. Again, it's not controversial. It's just some really powerful statements of the mechanics of how things work. When a person gets saved and starts walking with God, the light comes on. 
the light comes on. The person's life starts being transformed and changed. He starts looking different. There starts a whole process of what the Bible calls sanctification, which is just God cleaning us up. It's kind of a process for us. It's ongoing. It really never, it really never stops through our entire life. God is cleaning us up, transforming us, making us more and more into the image of Christ. Now, think about that statement that he just made here. You claim to have faith. I have good works. Show me your alleged faith without your works. I'll show you my works, by, or my faith by my works. Let's look at two scenarios that I think, again, will help us understanding what James is saying, what he's not saying. Okay, you remember the story where you've got, uh, it's kind of at the end, there's the throne, Jesus sitting on the throne, all nations are gathered before him, judgment is being passed down. Good or bad. He separates the nations into two groups. He puts what he refers to as the sheep on one side. He puts what he refers to as the goats on the other side. And it's really interesting that he narrows them out by what they did and didn't do. Keith Green wrote a song back in the day. That's probably before a lot of years time. Keith Green was big for a while. And... uh, and I, I can't even remember how the song went. I just remember this phrase. There was something, something, something. And what the, you did and didn't do, he says, is what it came down to. What you did and didn't do. Now, they weren't saved by those works, but those works kind of indicated what was going on. They weren't saved by those works, but they were transformed by the power of Christ and lived a different life. And then he gathers the goats and he says to them, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. Depart. Now, compare that story with the one where Jesus says, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, we did all these wonderful works for you. We cast out demons. We did this. We did that. And this particular group, even though they had all these works that looked really good, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Never knew you. So it's a good story, I think, to look at to see. You're not saved by your works. Here's this group. Unsaved as could be doing all kinds of good works. Jesus says, I never knew you. On the other hand, when he separates them on on the judgment day, He's looking at transformed lives, people that he knew that were served, that because they knew him, because they've been transformed, were serving him. And he's pointing out, you were serving me, you weren't. Back to the passage. Show me your faith without your works, if you can. You can't. It's like the guy at work. I'm so good, I'm so good. Show me. Oh, Right at the bottom. Okay. Show me. Show me the truth to that statement without the works. Can't. I'm doing really good. Oh, yeah, I see it. Man, that looks good. Yes, I agree. Show me it without the works. If you can, you can't. And again, he's addressing a false faith. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well to believe that, he says. And he's being sarcastic here. You do well to believe that. The demons also believe that. And shudder and bristle and awe-filled terror. They have seen his wrath. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish, spiritually shallow person, that faith without good works is useless? It's not real faith if it doesn't transform your life. 
It's not in any way trying to say you're saved by, by, by works. It's trying to make the point when you get saved, something happens, something changes. You become different. And then there's this whole process through your life of, of growing into that. When you go to the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, what's interesting there is other than a few, about, well, I don't know, two-thirds, three-quarters of the examples, it's all faith followed with an action. Abraham, um, let's see, I wanna, I'm going to misquote these, so let's see. Okay, by faith, Abel offered the right offering. By faith, Noah built the ark. He did something because of his faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed, and he went out to this place that God said, you're going to receive. By faith, he lived in the land as a foreigner. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Faith, if you really believe, you act. You act. Peter believed briefly that he could walk on water when Jesus told him to. And briefly he walked on water till he didn't believe anymore. I know I don't believe that I can walk on water. So I don't bother trying. I know that I can't. But when Peter believed he could, he did. What do you believe? Who do you believe? How it... the. I think the, the, the point of this text is, how is your faith? Is your faith vibrant, alive, and real? And if it is, it will change and transform your life. It will change and transform your life. My challenge to you is, to myself, get close to God. You know, as, living the Christian life, it's not about our own efforts. Growing in the Lord is about just getting close to God. Jesus referred to it this way. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you just will abide in me, he says, you'll bear much fruit. You go on, you look at plants growing. You see them struggling, working real hard. They seem to be kind of peaceful. In fact, the most peaceful place is to be out in nature. As long as you're not with the wild animals. <laughs> been, been to that side of things. But get out there with nature. Where did God put man in the beginning? In the, in the garden. Peaceful, restorative, and plants just kind of real calmly produce. They do what they're designed to do. And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, connect into me. I'm the source of life, connect into me, and you'll bear a lot. He says, you'll bear lots of fruit. That's the sort of works we're talking about. It it just starts happening. You don't have to strive. God isn't looking for us as Christians now to, to strive and work hard in the flesh. Our own efforts, hmm. obedience he's looking for, the right heart he's looking for, plug into him and let the fruit start happening. It'll just start happening. You don't have to, don't have to strive. Uh, Paul talked about it this way. He said, be filled with the Spirit. You won't fulfill the works of the flesh. The fruit, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., etc., in Romans, Paul put it this way. He says, don't be conformed to this world. He says, be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Get into the Word. Have, start having an encounter with the living God. Let his, the, word, the, the water of the washing of the Word wash your mind regularly. Wash your heart. And without even, without human effort, just obedience and letting God's powerful tools go to work in your life, something starts happening. You're transformed. Paul, in another place, called it, referred to it this way. He says, we all with open face beholding it as in a glass or a mirror. The glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Supernatural change, little by little. We're all messed up. Every one of us, we're all messed up. We're, we're so far from the righteous standard of God that it's unbelievable, but we're, we're all in the process of sanctification and growing and just plug in. Faith, that works is dead. How is your faith? Amen.